Well, good morning. Let's try that again. Uh, my name is Ricky. I'm the middle school pastor here. Uh, it's my privilege to be able to be up here to share with you this morning. Uh, as all of you hopefully know, Pastor Ed is on what we are calling sabbatical. Um, this is a very biblical thing, something that is much needed. Uh, he has been faithfully leading our church for over 19 years without any kind of a break like this. Uh, so this is uh, something that we are really excited for him. Uh, but we encourage you during these next few months to be in prayer for Pastor Ed and for Miss Nancy as they get away uh, to kind of unplug, reset, recharge. Uh, and we know when he comes back, it's going to be amazing. But in ministry, there's not a whole lot of downtime. And ministry is a very demanding profession. There's always something to prepare for. There's always that next sermon, that next lesson to teach, that next worship set to prepare for, all those different things. Even when you take a short vacation, there's always something on the other side of it. So being able to get away for the next 13 weeks is going to be great for them. So please be in prayer that uh, God is able to just encourage them and kind of recharge their batteries. And we know he's going to come back and hit the ground running in a few months, and we're excited for that. But in the meantime, that gives the rest of us the opportunity to come and share some things that God has laid on our hearts. Uh, so I'm really glad to be able to do this today. Uh, a few months ago when we were talking about this and what it looked like, and we all knew we kind of had a three-week window to do a little mini-series and I didn't know what that was going to look like, what God was wanting me to share with you. Uh, but this idea of shortage kept kind of coming to my mind. This is a word that when I was growing up, we only really ever talked about this in history class. We talked about the Great Depression and the, uh, the gas shortage of the 70s. Uh, all those different things during wartime, there were shortages. But in the last year, I think we've all heard this word just one too many times started last, what was it, March, April, with the lovely toilet paper shortage. Anybody relate to that? Uh, I think we all went through that in some way, shape, or form. I never dreamed I would be driving around town to every single grocery store trying to find toilet paper, but there we were. And beyond that, I never dreamed that when my dad found some three hours away, he would put it in a big old box and mail it to me so that we had enough in our house for the six of us that were together. Uh, but that was what happened. But beyond that, we've seen some things a little more serious. I mean, recently, in the beginning of the pandemic, and even now, unfortunately, again, we're seeing shortages of hospital beds as people are recovering. Uh, we've seen another fuel shortage. We've seen the, the newest, strangest one to me has been the, the computer chips for new cars that seem to have affected the market. But in some way, all of us have been affected by this idea of shortage, this idea of supply and demand and what is available to us. And I think in our lives, there are a lot of things that we can look at that we might be short on beyond all of these things. If you have your Bibles this morning, I would like you to turn to the book of Matthew chapter 25. And this passage I'm going to be reading today is kind of the launching point for the next three weeks of what we're going to be talking about in this series on shortage. What's happening here back in chapter 24, Jesus was talking to his disciples uh, in this thing we call the Olivet Discourse. They were questioning him, asking him about the end times and what that was going to look like, the signs of that. And while there's still a lot of debate about what the end times are, what they're going to look like, when they're going to happen, it's interesting to me that Jesus takes a portion of this to share this one parable here in chapter 25. And this is towards the end of the Olivet Discourse. Uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 14, if you'll follow along with me this morning. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. 
To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have, have invested my money with the bankers, and at my, at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to, everyone who has, for, to, for to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, and that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." So in this passage, Jesus is telling his disciples it, with this parable that everyone will be held accountable for what they have been entrusted with. You are going to be held accountable for what you have done with your life. God entrusts each of us with very specific things, and what we do with them has to be answered for. We call this stewardship. Stewardship is defined this way. The conducting, supervising, or managing of something, especially the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. So in the parable of the talents, the master gave three men different amounts of money. The exact amount of money that a talent is equal to could have been anywhere from a few thousand dollars in modern money up to even 15 to 20 years worth of wages. Regardless of which amount we look at, what we see here what Jesus has pointed out is that these men were entrusted with something of significant value. In the end, all three had to explain what they did with that money. This is stewardship. God has entrusted each of us with some things of value. And for some of us, it's in different quantities, but all of us will be held accountable for what we do with it. So over the next three weeks, we're going to look at three different things that God has entrusted to us. This week, we're looking at the stewardship of our time. The other passage I want us to look at today was written by Paul. It's in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, and this is where we're going to be for the rest of the morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, he says this, Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. The first thing Paul says here is that we need to watch our steps. We need to look where we're going. This summer, I did a ton of traveling. In fact, I think I put way more miles on that bus than I ever dreamed were possible in two months. But we all made it through and alive on the other side. Uh, we spent two full weeks with our middle schoolers and high schoolers uh, at camp. We took our middle schoolers up to Tennessee back in June, took the high schoolers to North Carolina back in July. 
great trips, but both of these trips took a long time to prepare. Pastor Chad and I, I think in total it was around 130 people that we took between these two camps. All these different things that we had to prepare for. We spend months planning for camp. We do fundraisers. Mountains and mountains of paperwork that has to be filled out before we can even leave. And then comes the drive. We make it most of the way and we stop. Sleep in a gym. You can't turn off the lights. And we had bats flying through the air while we were sleeping. Things that you never dreamed would happen. All of this on our way to camp. And then the next morning comes and we arrive and we are there, ready for an amazing week, ready to see what God is going to do in the lives of these kids. And then before we blink, it's the last night, we're packing up, loading the bus, and headed home. It seems like months of anticipation, all of this planning was just gone. The week itself just flies by. And I think that's something that all of us can relate to as well. Time flies constantly moving. In verse 15, it says, look carefully then how you walk. In older translations, they use the word circumspect. The idea in the Greek is the idea of looking around, precision, accuracy. So don't let your time get away from you. Don't let your time control you. How many of you would say that time moves faster now as an adult than when you were a kid? I think we can mostly agree to that. I never believed my parents growing up when they said this to me over and over, but now that I'm an adult, it's no longer about just anticipating Christmas and how far away it is. Now I realize that it's almost September. Christmas is going to be here before we blink, and then before we know it, school's starting again. That is what time feels like now. It's constantly moving. Quicker and quicker and quicker. 365 days we get in a year, something like 31 million seconds, which may seem like a lot, But in reality, that's all we get, one year at a time. When talking about finances, I'm a big fan of Dave Ramsey. Um, Many of you are probably familiar with him, but he teaches this thing called a zero-based budget. It means that before the month begins, you take all of your income that you know you're going to make, and you divide it out in your budget, and you determine where every every single dollar is going to go. Every dollar has a name, is what he says. So that way, as the money comes in, you know where it's going to go. And some of that money is labeled for fun, and some of that money is labeled for bills. Some of that money goes to savings, but you know what you're going to do with it before you get it. Well, the same can be said of our time. We need to budget our time. Do you know where your time is going? Or is it day five of camp, and you're ready to load the bus and go home, and you've missed out on all these things that have happened before? We all have things that we want to accomplish in life. If we aren't watching our time, we're going to run out of it. If you don't use it correctly, you're going to lose it. That is what happens to all of us. As parents, you only get your child for 18 years. How are you using that time? Those of you that are empty nesters, you can look back and I'm sure there was a point when you never dreamed 18 years old would come, but now it seems like so far in the past that time came and went so quickly Do you know where every minute is going? Or do the days just continue to click away and click away? And you look back and you have regrets, things that you wish you had done. So watch your time. Know where every minute is going so that you can do something about it. We should be able to look at the week before it begins and know where each minute is going before the week starts. 
And if you don't know, then now is the time to start examining your time. Examine what you're doing with all of the days ahead of you. And once you examine it, once you start using that time, the next step is to reevaluate it so that we can use your time wisely. We're constantly asking God to give us more time. If I only had more time, between the demands the world places on us from work, from school, just life in general, we're constantly running out of time. How many of you have ever seen the old movie, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? That was one of my favorites as a kid, still one of my favorites. Now, I'm not talking about the new one with Johnny Depp. I'm talking about the original with Gene Wilder. That, 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 who could agree with me? That's the better of the Willy Wonkas, without a doubt. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's okay. No. <laughs> it's a great movie. I'm sure all of you know the story. Willy Wonka invites these kids into his chocolate factory, and he's showing them all the amazing things. And then one by one, the kids get picked off. For whatever reason, the Oompa Loompas come out, and they sing their songs. Uh, great, fun movie as all these children go through all these amazing different things. But at the very beginning, when he enters the factory with all of the kids... Willy Wonka looks at the kids and their parents, and he says this. He says, we have so much time and so little to do. Scratch that. Reverse it. How great would it be if that was our lives, that we have all this time and only a little bit to do, only a little bit to see. But we know that the reality is the opposite is true. We have so many things we want to do and not enough hours in a day. All of us have probably even said that phrase. There are not enough hours in the day. We have so much to do and so little time to do it. And this is the point when we realize this, when we realize that we need to make the best use of our time. This is where we take the time that we've examined and we have to decide what is the best use of what we have been given. So let's look at the passage again. Paul says, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time. Some of us need to learn how to say no to some things in life so that we can say yes to other things. There are a ton of good things that we can spend our time doing. Work is something that we all have to do. Students, school is something you have to do. It's not optional. But how much work do you bring home? How much time at home do you spend doing schoolwork instead of spending time with the rest of your family. Adults, I guarantee that there is nothing about your job that is more important than your time with your family. You are 100% replaceable. I've been at Heartland now for almost a year and a half. I've worked in a number of different churches, and I can by far tell you this is the healthiest church I've ever been in, one of the best environments I've ever worked in one of the best moves my family has ever made. But at the end of the day, if something happened to me, the middle school ministry of this church would continue. I am replaceable in this position. A healthy church doesn't rely on one person, just like your job will exist tomorrow without you. But our families, on the other hand, that's different. As a husband, as a father, I'm not replaceable. Is my work good? Yes. Is my family more important? Absolutely. And that should always take the priority. No matter how great your job is, your family should always be number one in your life. Students, getting an education is important. Doing well in school is important. But parents, 
Hear me when I say this. Your child's grades are not more important than their relationship with Christ. That must be first. So what about some of the extra things in life? We can all agree that it's great for our kids to be well-rounded, to do all the different extracurriculars, sports, dance, cheerleading, band, drama, whatever it is, you name it. These are all good things. But are they better than making sure that your family is in worship every Sunday? Statistically speaking, most families consider themselves regular attenders if they are here once every six weeks. But you don't understand, my son is the greatest player on his baseball team. He has these goals, and he's going to make it. He is going to play pro ball, and he's going to be successful. It's more likely that your child's going to get struck by lightning than become a pro athlete. I'm not making that up. Statistically speaking, 0.029% of children who are in Little League make it to professional sports. Less than one-third of 1% will make it. But statistically speaking, 100% of your children will stand before the throne of God. That has to be the priority. Thank you. Are you using your time wisely? How many things in your life have taken the priority of what should be these things that glorify God? What needs to be pushed back? What part of your life needs more attention? For most people, I would say our jobs usually come first. Life and the things that go with that come second. And then the church is whatever's left over. If I've got time to wake up on a Sunday morning and maybe I can make it in here, then that is where all of that goes. I think that order needs to be switched. I think our priorities need to change. Now, I'm not saying quit your job because obviously you need to provide for your family. Children, you cannot drop out of school. You still have to get an education. You still need to do those things. But we have to make sure that it doesn't become the main focus in our lives. God wants our first fruits. He wants our best We say the same thing when we talk about giving, but what about our time? We need to give our time to God first, and then the other things fall behind it. Church should be a priority for you. It should be a priority for your families, and that's the legacy that you're going to leave for your children and your grandchildren. What are you making a priority? If you teach your kids that baseball and cheerleading are more important than church on Sunday, then that's what they're going to remember, and before long, there won't be any families left in the church. You need to be spending time daily with God before you do anything else. You need to spend time in prayer. All of these things need to come before everything else in our lives. Second to that should be our families. And at the top of the family should be your spouse. That means husbands, your wife is more important than your kids. And wives, your husband is more important than your kids. I know that's an unpopular opinion. I know many of you will disagree with me on that. But when it comes to raising children, if you and your spouse are not one unit, not working together, then your children are not going to have the best possible future. You have to be together as a team. Because at some point, you will be an empty nest, and your children will be gone, and what's going to be left but you and your spouse? And you need to be there for each other, and that relationship needs to take priority. I'm not saying neglect your family, but always make your marriage the priority. And your children should come before your social life. 
They should come before your work life. After your family, that's when those other things fall into place, your work, your social time. So what is the wisest use of your time? Evaluate it. Make the wise choice. You only have so many hours in a day, only so many days in a year, and you don't even know how many years you're going to have. And once it's gone, you'll never get it back. So why does all this matter? Why do we care? Why does God care about how we use our time? Well, Paul tells us in verse 16, we need to guard our time because the days are evil. We don't live in a world that's very conducive to living a Christian lifestyle. Every day we are pulled in a thousand different directions. The world is constantly telling us where our priorities should be, telling us what is most important. In Paul's time, when he wrote this, he was talking about the Roman persecution of the church. In Paul's days, people were being martyred for their faith. Now, that still happens today. We don't necessarily see that here in Winter Haven, Florida, but we know that around the world, every single day, Christians are being killed for their faith. Their lives are being shortened. Paul knew that the, not only were evil days coming, but they were already present. And for us, every single day brings new challenges. It brings new obstacles to our walk as Christians. And if we aren't actively protecting our time, actively working to not let evil get a stronghold in our lives, we are going to lose every opportunity we have to do good. When I was a kid, I remember a friend whose parent never let them, their mom never let them stay behind at school. One of my favorite things was to get to school early, hang out with my friends and talk, to stay late after band practice or whatever, and enjoy that time of, of fellowship and talking and just goofing off. But this parent always said they were not allowed to and they were always dropped off right before school and picked up as soon as everything was over. And the phrase that she constantly used, and you've probably heard some variation of this, idle time is the devil's workshop. I've heard multiple versions of it, but what it essentially means is that if you are not watching your time, if you are not actively making sure every minute is being used, then it's only going to get you in trouble because something is going to sneak in. The less time you have planned out, the more evil that can sneak into your life. So how often do we let things that don't matter, things that aren't fruitful, creep into our schedules? I can't even begin to tell you how many times I pull out my phone to check an email or reply to a text message, and then while I'm looking at my phone, I get a Facebook notification, so I tap on it. And before long, I have scrolled Facebook, I'm now on TikTok, watching a video of somebody deep-frying an Uncrustable, and I have no idea where my time has gone. And then I send that video to another friend to distract them from whatever they're doing. All of us can relate to this. If we're not careful, we are going to lose every minute of every day. Now, I don't think that Paul had baseball and social media in mind when he wrote this. He was thinking about things like sickness and war, things that physically shorten a life. And he knew that life was short, and he wanted us to use that time wisely. We are not promised tomorrow. We may have regrets about yesterday, but we can still look to the future. We can still make changes. I honestly believe the biggest evils in our lives are the things that are taking away our time, things that on the surface look harmless good even, 
But I think that's how the enemy gets to us. If we spend all of our time doing these things that aren't in and of themselves evil, we can quickly miss out on opportunities to do the things that God has genuinely called us to do. So what are some of the good things? We've talked about a few this morning. Work, school, sports, social life, extracurricular things. All of these are good but they are robbing us of the time that God has given us to use for his glory. It's not about us, it's about him. And I genuinely believe that the days ahead of us are going to get worse. So what can we do to make the most of this time that we have now? When was the last time you opened your Bible outside of these four walls? When was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? How often are you physically in church worshiping with other believers? Now, some of you are at home and isolated for health reasons, and I completely understand that. But if you're not coming to church because it's easier to watch church on your phone while you're in your pajamas and eating pancakes, or out on the boat watching it on your phone because, well, might as well, And you are not following what God has called to do. You are not making the best use of your time. He has called us to assemble together, to worship together, to make this a priority. Is there anything wrong with fishing? No. But if that is more important than being here, then that has become an idol in your life, and that is something that needs to be pushed back and replaced with the things of God. Is it the wisest use of your time? Don't let evil creep in. Parents, you need to set the example for your children. If you make church a priority now, then they will make church a priority later in life. So that means you need to get your kids to Awana on Wednesday nights. You need to make sure your students are at the gathering in midweek for our student ministry. You need to get yourself plugged into a heart group or Heartland Moms. You need to be actively showing your children what the proper example is, what the best use of time is. You need to start saying no to some things so that you can say yes to what God is calling you to do. So the issue isn't that we have a shortage of time. There are no more hours to add to the clock. The issue is that we aren't using the time that we've been given correctly. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So make wise decisions. And don't look to the world for your wisdom. The world's got a lot of opinions about what we should be doing. We're always going to look at our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers and try and mimic what they're doing with their lives. But that is not the example we should follow. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. If you are in Christ... If you are a Christ follower, then you need to be looking to him for your answers, not to the world. Look to Jesus for what's important, where our priorities should be. He is the source of wisdom. His example is the one that we should be following. So as you examine your schedule, I want you to examine it through the lens of scripture. Base your priorities on what God's word says. Is what I'm doing the best use of my time? Is it going to honor Christ? Is it going to bring glory to God? Your life as a Christ follower should be evident to everyone who looks at you. 
So check your priorities. If you're here, you don't have a relationship with Christ, then today is the day. Make the best use of this time and give your life to him. Surrender it all before him. Don't leave today without talking to someone and starting your relationship with Christ. This morning, our crosses are open. I'd like you to come down and put your prayer requests on that cross, but beyond that, I want you to think of that one thing that has become that idol in your life, that one thing that you give more attention to than your relationship with Christ. I want you to write it down on a slip of paper and pin it to that cross and say, God, today is the day that I'm gonna make a change. Today is the day that you become the priority. Make the best use of your time. If you need prayer, our prayer team is gonna be in the back. They would love to pray with you. If you have questions, if you're struggling with your faith, come find one of the pastors here. We would love to have a conversation with you. We're always available. Make the best use of your time. Let's pray together. God, I thank you right now for this time for the commitment that every single person has made to be here today, for those that are watching online. God, I pray that you would not let this time have been in vain. That everything we've done today, every word that has been spoken or sung would have been for your glory. That you would take it and apply it to our lives so that we truly can make a change. God, remove the idols, remove the distractions. God, let us all make you the most important thing in our lives put church first, to put our relationship with Jesus above everything else. It's in Jesus' name I pray.